Let's turn together to Philippians 4, beginning at verse 1. We'll focus on verses 10 to 20, but we're going to read this chapter, Philippians chapter 4. This is the word of our God. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also... True companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, obedience and need. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is one of Paul's latest letters that is furthest uh, you know, dated in his life, written from prison in approximately 62 AD. That would be about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and death and resurrection. So about three decades later from what we were reading this morning. And it wouldn't be too much longer before Paul himself was martyred in Christ's name. He wrote this letter to the Philippian Christians in the Roman city of Philippi, which today we would count as sort of modern-day Greece, northern Greece, um, as he was across the sea in Italy. Paul has encouragements for this church, which he started. 
and we're picking it up now at the end of this letter. Uh, it's an encouragement for us to ponder the way that, uh, that Paul thought about the church, the church that he had invested in, and now they were investing in him to their credit. He talks about giving and receiving, you know, uh, church support and tithes, as it were, uh, and the support of the gospel ministry specifically from them to him. But also the broader principle is there regarding missions and, and our, our financial support of the kingdom. He was not embarrassed to talk about it. He was neither dismissive nor fearful of, you know, addressing financial concerns related to his work, related to the work of the church. Instead, he disciplined himself, and he also taught the spiritual discipline uh, of trust in Christ, you know, for those who give, you know. So on both sides of it, he's looking for a certain attitude. He's looking for a certain disposition. And we can see in this writing how Paul's relationship, and including financial partnership with the Philippian church, shows an example of God's gracious provision and of deep contentment in the riches of Christ's glory. So there's, there's a lot to see in this. Part of the occasion of writing this letter to the Philippian church is that they had, they had sent him a financial gift while he was in prison. And we would be very you know, poor students of history if we thought of prison like we understand prison you know, in America now. Uh, it's very different. Uh, in a manner of speaking, you know, Paul was more like under a house arrest and he had access to visitors who really he needed outside help to supply his needs. So Paul was not allowed to leave. He had limited freedom, uh, but he could you know, receive visitors and send and receive messages like this one. And friends could bring him aid, including money and food and clothing, whatever he needed uh, to survive. Um, and this was the sort of arrangement of his incarceration. And in that way, uh, a prisoner in Paul's day might starve or get sick or be in very poor circumstances if no one will help him, if no one will visit him with aid. So their help was a very needed kindness for him. And he speaks of them as showing concern and sharing his trouble and partnering with him in this way. It is known, according to the earlier chapter, chapter 113, it's known that his imprisonment is for Christ. They are sharing his prisoner shame, cross-bearing shame, uh, by uh, identifying with him and meeting his needs while he's imprisoned. They're affirming that his hardship is not suffering because he's a criminal. His hardship is not suffering because he's a, you know, a rebel or an insurrectionist or whatever. You know, he's not suffering that way, but he's, he's incarcerated. He's imprisoned because he believes in Jesus. And that is, that's the kind of shame that we want. We want to be shamed in the same way that, that people know, whatever the cost, that we are with Jesus. And so they're affirming that his hardship is, is spiritual, that the conflict and the cost is spiritual uh, in this imprisonment. And they're taking part in that cost and counting his needs as, as their own. And this is an affirmation of that legitimate gospel ministry, even when, you know, like the gossip might be, well, no one goes to jail for nothing. You know, no one, no one you know, ends up like this for no reason. But, of course, we read this morning that Jesus was paraded like a criminal 
and shamed like a criminal and crucified between two criminals. Well, now Paul is in, you know, he's imprisoned um, like a criminal and just like Jesus was innocent. So, you know, Paul is innocent of a crime, but he is suffering for the sake of the gospel. So we have this, we have this beautiful unity of the church reaching out to Paul in prison. And this will be the continued commitment, right, of, of Paul and of anyone who wants to share in the work of, of Jesus in this world. Jesus carried a shameful cross and bore shameful treatment. And so we also will be uh, paying the cost of carrying the cross. And it may look like this, some imprisoned, some shamed, some fired from their jobs, some you know, stripped of their, their you know, teaching positions or you know, whatever it may be, their medical positions. We can expect more of this. We can expect a lot of this. And it's part of the, it's part of the witness of the church to, to bear with people in these circumstances. And definitely it's a part of the witness of the church. To, uh, to support the work of the ministry in this way. And this is what's happening here. So we count, we count that cost. And then we still go further to extend our care to those who can't pay us back, like we were praying earlier. This is the principle that Jesus taught us. So we, have, we, we bear costs that are maybe unexpected, and then some of them are expected. And we bear costs that are uh, that are you know fair and legitimate, and some that are unfair, and we bear costs and burdens as a church that are uh, that are necessary but not you know payable in return. All of this is a, is a part of of the work of the gospel and the work of the kingdom in a, in the broadest way. It's an important part of investing ourselves in God's work that the uh, you know giving and receiving and and generosity is is. Some of it is payable in the reward that God gives in heaven, but not in this world. And some of it is, is invested and shown as good fruit the way that Paul describes it here, a gift to, that it increases to your credit. But for now is, is no guarantee that, that you know, our finances will be strong all the time or that, that you know, it will, the way we give, it will come back to us. In... In addition, then, to our vocal encouragement of the work of the kingdom and and people who are doing that work, and in addition to our prayers, we have this shared faith commitment, which is essential, that we offer financial support to kingdom causes and to the needs of many. Now, there's something interesting and admirable about the Philippians. Paul had carried on his missionary work in their region of Macedonia, northern Greece, and um, his missionary journeys took him to many places. But he says that, that in this particular case, when the gospel started in Macedonia, when, you know, when we had our beginning and there was, the gospel had never been there and I came there with the gospel, only the Philippians had sacrificed financially to support him and that was admirable of them. All of the believers in that region had received a great gift from God And they had received a great gift by way of the work of the Apostle Paul, but only the Philippians were sharing with him in this particular way. They had all been the beneficiaries of his good labor for their benefit, but no other church had turned around to fully support the ongoing work 
that went on to others besides them. And that was an admirable thing. Think about that thought, you know, that what what we have received in the gospel, you know, at someone else's expense, we want to turn around and send out still to others. And this is sort of an ongoing, this is an ongoing thing with the way that our churches relate, that we we want to see the gospel expanded. We want to we want to support the work that takes the gospel to new places. We want to shore up the work in other churches when necessary and uh, and support them. And this is an ongoing exchange of mutual care, mutual love, um, mutual support. You know, I could I could point I was very touched when I saw uh, several gifts come in to us for the you know, the our heat was out and the other churches responded with financial help to to carry that project forward. The unity of purpose there is a great blessing. The like-mindedness and the sharing of those burdens is a great blessing. And, uh, and, and that was happening you know, behind the scenes up till like this week when other churches who have never met any of you maybe, or me for that matter, I've met some of them, sent thousands of dollars to us to help with something that they would never enjoy the benefit of. That's just the heat. That's going to pass away. And we're talking about the ministry of the gospel that that accrues you know, to eternal life. Um, I would say a more accurate, you know, maybe fitting thing here has to do with the way that we mutually support uh, students who are training for the gospel ministry. Men, men that that are not likely to stay here, they're likely to go elsewhere and the fruits of their labors will be elsewhere. But we rejoice over that thought of launching more harvesters into the harvest. And that's a shared uh, financial commitment between our churches that is like what we're seeing here. The, the Philippians, interested in financially supporting the, the setup of the Thessalonican church and uh, interested in Paul's continued labors and interested in the fact that it landed him in jail in Rome. And following up with him and sending after him, uh, that's important. So we have we have seen these things. I know that I know that our this particular congregation has believed and practiced this spiritual discipline of sacrificial giving for over a century. That's that's a beautiful thing. You know, we we are uh, giving and receiving in a way that that is supportive of the mission. You know, it's supportive of the Great Commission, supportive of gospel labor in our region, in our country, and in the world. And that's, uh, that's something that we want to do willingly, not begrudgingly. And it's something that we want to do consciously and not be caught by surprise. Oh, there's needs? I never thought about that. But we, we want to be a part of it. And we have been engaged in training people for ministry and sending missionaries and supporting missionaries and in promoting uh, among the churches that mentality that the work is a shared work. That's why we were so named the United Reformed Churches in North America. And it has to do with these principles. We named ourselves after, after this passage, if you want to put it that way. We named ourselves uh, regarding unity of faith and unity of purpose in the gospel. That's important. Now consider Paul's reason for thinking this way, right? He, 
he calls their gifts fragrant offerings, sacrifices acceptable and pleasing to God. He is sure that those who bank on God's trustworthy provision will be, will be supplied and resupplied. So he puts his life on the line and he puts his time and energy not into providing for himself, although he at times, you know, worked and, and supplied some of his own needs. But he, his desire is to stay on target in his ministry. So he puts himself, uh, you know, at risk and he puts himself out on a limb to do the mission. But he also encourages them when you give to the Lord's purposes I am confident that my God will supply you and more, you know, that, that God will take care of you, that, that your sacrificial giving will not land you in, in uh, you know, ultimate distress, but that God is behind it for me and for you. So on a communal level, Paul has, you know, he's assured the church that when they sacrifice to partner with him and to share with him, that God will supply all of their needs out of the riches of his glory in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. You know, small as we are and limited as we are, it's hard to imagine God's greatness, his bigness, um, his generosity, limitlessness, empty as we are. As we are. It's, it's hard to imagine his fullness and we're challenged by this in the gospel. We're challenged by this, you know, in, in the way that God shows, you know, for instance, through the parables. The, the very wealthy king who erases a debt of the most incredible magnitude out of his generosity. And Jesus, who, you know, is going to provide a catch for his disciples that breaks the nets and the God who, who describes finding the kingdom and the things of the kingdom as finding the, a treasure of the greatest value, of such an incredible value that everything I have is a trifle. All my possessions I would sell to have this treasure. We're, we're dealing with this God. My, my daughter has betta fish. Maybe you have betta fish. They're you know, pretty little fish. And they eat the teeniest pellets if you breathe too hard, there it's like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, I got to get more. I could, I couldn't even see it on the floor if I dropped it, you know. So I have to be so careful, uh, you know, with, with the fish pellets. And we're talking about the God who feeds every fish in every river and every place. Uh, the, the the magnitude of the greatness of God and how He cares for creation. He says to us, "I clothe the grass. I take care of the birds." And you're worried about food and clothing. You're worried about, you know, daily bread. And it, be careful. Be careful of thinking about him with, 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 with such limitations. Uh, be careful of thinking about him who feeds every fish with their pellets everywhere. It, it's, it's hard to imagine the kind of God that we serve. But we're, we're encouraged to think about the scale of God's goodness, and rejoice. He will supply your every need out of the riches you know, of, his, uh, of his goodness, you know, out of the riches of his grace in Christ. He will supply everything uh, you know, and more, every need. 
out of the glory of his riches. This is, this is a powerful promise, a powerful statement about God, about God and what he's ready to do. You know, this is, this is a you know, hard budget year, right? Tight budget year. And I know it's going to be when we go to the classes, you know, a tight budget year for all these different needs that are, that are out there, whether it's to support our students or uh, as it relates to missions. It's, you know, it's, it's a tight year. Um, and, and, you know, this, it goes like this, up and down for us. Uh, tight year, lean years, more full years. This is, this is the challenge that, that we, we remember the God that we serve. We remember his ability to supply our needs. And we know what God is willing and able to do for us. Rather than a terror, it is our great honor to share in the trouble of God's work when, when we're talking about imprisonment and when we're talking about shame and when we're talking about uh, you know, being sort of erased from our culture uh, because of, of what we believe. It's, it's important for us to remember uh, that God is backing these sacrifices as as payable out of his generosity. And that's, that's important for us, an important encouragement. Rather than a burden to be despised, it's a matter of partnership in the gospel to carry on in our support of God's work. And instead to have a chance to prove how our trust in God will be well repaid, well supplied, just the way that he says here, your fragrant offerings. God does not forget them. God remembers them. And for us, then, we're exercising ourselves when it comes to our gifts and our tithes and our offerings in a very practical way. We're exercising ourselves in the reminder of the riches that God has in mind the richness of his gift towards us, the kindness and the generosity that he has in mind for us. So that Jesus said in Matthew 19, at the proper time, you know, no one who has sacrificed for me, no one who has, no one who has laid down you know, their sacrificial service uh, to follow me will fail to receive a hundred times. For God, it is, it is not a thought that he, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to repay them. I don't know how I'm going to supply them. God is not desperate to supply us. He knows about our needs. And, you know, so it's, it's you know, not with, I guess, the glittering suit and a smile and, and $100 bills that prosperity preachers are, you know, uh, you know showing. Uh, it may not be that kind of prosperity that we're talking about one day to the next, but God, God can easily supply our needs. It is, he doesn't break a sweat to supply us. He doesn't run out. He doesn't have to budget. Isn't that strange? You know, everything we do, limited resources, limited budget. Oh, man, you know, does it, what, 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 can, what can we do? What do we got to cut out? God does not have to budget his grace. He has, he has such grace for us. The streets of the kingdom of God. I'm fond of this thought. You know, the streets, the streets of heaven's kingdom. Paved in gold, the, the, you know, the, the streets that we walk on with our dirty feet, as it were, 
Um, I suppose they're not dirty in heaven. We can talk, you know, talk about the perfection of heaven. But the very, the lowest thing, the street, the sidewalk, the thing we don't think about, is richer than the richest things of this world. That's the God we serve. We have to take that mindset when it comes to kingdom causes. Humbling ourselves, considering what sacrifices are needed. What sacrifices are needed to carry on our work here? What sacrifices are needed to carry on our work abroad? What sacrifices are needed for the ministry of the gospel near and far? We're interested in these questions. And the Apostle Paul is able to count those sacrifices. He's not... He's not worried about the gift or get, you know, getting a gift or not. And he also urges the Philippians to be careful about how they think. So he says about himself, I don't spend my time wringing my hands about the gift. I know how to abound. I know how to, you know, have little. I know how to be hungry. I know how he, I, I, I am prepared to do this work and be hungry. I'm prepared to do this work and to have everything I need. And all of it I see as, as from the Lord's hand. And he encourages the church here to discipline themselves in the same way. Yes, continue of this, this uh, mindset of sacrificial giving, which is fragrant you know, and, and beautiful in God's eyes. And don't worry, don't fear. In the same way that Paul says, I don't, I don't worry or fear, and I don't, I don't stay up at night, you know, in terror about these things. I, I know the God that I serve. You know, Paul has this contentment, and you know that's important for any church. That's important for for you know Christian teaching in general. A lot of false teachers are focusing on money, and talking about money in exactly the wrong way. So, you know, because there's so much distortion, you know, there's all kinds of, of, you know, charlatans and there's all kind of abuse uh, and there's all kinds of extravagance and foolishness that that gives, you know, the church a, a bad name or a bad reputation. That that tends to make churches, you know, timid. We, we won't. So we won't talk about money at all because we don't want to be painted with the same broad brush as them. You know, all they care about is money in a false and foolish way, so we'll just, we'll not talk about it. Uh, that, that doesn't work either. Paul has a very disciplined mind about ministry and his financial support, about the work of the gospel, and it's very practical. The glory and the riches of Jesus are where he's aiming, and the glory and the riches of Jesus are enough for the entire church. So that he carries on in his labor and he encourages them to carry on with that same mentality. That uh, the, work, the work of the gospel is critical and we can't drop it. So last week when we were talking about 1 Thessalonians 5, it said, you know, respect your leaders because the, the, for the sake of the work, we have to go out of our way to see that work continue. There's a very similar mentality here in uh, Philippians 4 going on with the financial support of ministry. You know, we, we want that work to continue and we do what's necessary to make it, to make it go on for the glory of God. And sometimes it gets you know, rather thin, you know, and, and, and sometimes things you know, go well. But the work, the work is so necessary 
that, that we see that as first and we see ourselves as second. And that's Paul's attitude and that's how he encourages the church. So that he does not say, if the money dries up, so does the ministry, right? The ministry drops, like, oops, you know, the, the, uh, I quit because the money dries up. God is his supply and God is their supply. And so, you know, there's, there's pains, there's pains in every sacrifice. Otherwise, it is not sacrificial. I, I, um, I, you see this principle at work in, in um, some of the Old Testament situations. You know, Abraham would not accept a free burial place for his wife. You know, I won't do it without, without cost. David says, I won't give an offering. You know, I won't give an offering that costs me nothing. You know, I want, I want, to, I want the sacrifice to be true. So it is that uh, there's cost in all of these things that we do. We value that mindset and we share it as a congregation, the commitment to the continued witness of the gospel, the commitment to the broader mission of the gospel. When we start paying the cost in money, that's the least of it. We pay the cost in shame. We pay the cost in hatred and opposition. We pay the cost sometimes with martyrdom. The witness of the church must continue through good times and bad times and fruitful years and lean years. And this is, this is the way that we see it uh, explained by the apostle. We want to be these kinds of Christians and that kind of church altogether determined to carry on in faith in whatever circumstances. And the church has, has borne all kinds of hardships through the centuries And this is what Paul desires for us, that we would be so steadfast, so enduring, so determined, following his example, that we too could say as a church, I know the secret of having an abundance, contentment in, in, you know, when things are well. And I also know the secret of, of carrying on when, when there is want. He's careful not to be proud when things go well, not to be lazy, not to be sluggish to do God's will when everything is safe, when we're, you know, when, when things are prospering. Paul continued to sacrifice. He continued to move on. He would stay in a place, but then carry forward. And the next place he might be beaten and, and jailed. And that was the risk that he continued to take. And now here he's come to one of those times. And it will turn out to be the end of his life soon. We as a congregation, um, you know, we, we want to know the secret. And it's, a, it's not a, a closely guarded secret anymore, you know, God willing. The secret of being thankful when things go well and also uh, faithful and, and joyful even when things go against us. Being being prepared to honor God when he provides well the things we need and being ready to honor God when, we're, when things are missing and, and you know, we carry on. And, and the secret is, is really no secret at all that Jesus has supplied us with the kind of faith, the kind of steadfastness, the kind of hope that cannot be stolen by anyone, any power, any circumstance of life any hardship, any trial, 
so that, you know, to, to give up anything, even to forsake, you know, the whole world, this is a cost that he discussed. He'll gain the world and forfeit our soul. That's not acceptable to us. We would give up anything so that we could follow him. And that's a challenge to us, you know, when, when we're warm and well-fed, when we're safe and comfortable, when, when everything is going well, we might ruin it all because the gospel requires it and serve in very uncomfortable ways and give sacrificially in ways that, that we are destabilized for a time or for the rest of our lives. What's the secret that, that we have the prize of Christ and of the gospel in front of us. And it's enough. He's enough for us. So that this life and, and all of the, the concerns of this life, they come second. So that Jesus said, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. We're, we're really looking at that in action. We deny ourselves. We take up his cross. And... We, we follow him with our minds, like the apostle says in verses you know, 8 through 10. Our minds on what is honorable, what is just, what is pure and lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. What we have learned and received from him, that is the apostle, who received it from Jesus. Our minds are there, and that helps us with everything else. It helps us walk through this life and every circumstance of it. Jesus, who went to the very lowest and now sits in the riches and the glory of God's right hand. That's our master. That's our king. That's our our banner. And he's been all the way to the lowest. Talked about that this morning. That was really a critical thing. Look how Matthew shows him as utterly scorned and empty. And now we're sort of talking about the very polar opposite of that. Look at Jesus in his glory, in in his honor, in his majesty, in his justice and purity, in the heights, in the heights of his victory and resurrection. That's the secret, poorly kept secret that gives us contentment in all circumstances that allows us to serve and to give and to you know, think clearly uh, about our hope and our future. When everything else is a disaster, when everything else is great, we still have the peace of God that passes understanding, the joy of God, the love of Christ, the treasure of God as our possession. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would more and more give us the kind of maturity Give us the kind of foundation and the kind of, of faith that is steadfast in everything so that we can pay whatever cost is needed and sacrifice in whatever kind of service is needed to carry on our part in the gospel labors that you have set aside for us. Lord, we are grateful that you have not sidelined us and left us out of your plans for service, for worship, for uh, the spread of the gospel. But you have opened up our eyes to the truth 
and you have opened up our minds to uh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus, and you have made our lives to be serviceable. So, Lord, we pray that we would be fruitful servants and profitable servants in that way. And, Lord, we are humbled by this thought that we have barely begun to serve you with our whole strength and with our entire and full substance and with an undivided attention and an undivided heart. So, Father, we pray that you would make us more like to Jesus, whose very bread was to do your will and who hungered and thirsted to please you as his heavenly Father. Make us like him in that way, to be undivided in our attention and whole for your service. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 224 in response.